Welcome to the Philip Wiley Show. Take a look behind the curtain of professional hacking and hear compelling discussions with guests from diverse backgrounds who share a common curiosity and passion for challenges and their job. And now, here's your host, offensive security professional, educator, mentor, and author, Philip Wiley. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Philip Wiley Show. I'm very excited to have Katerina joining me today. Uh, we met for the first time at InfoSec Europe a few weeks ago. We've been connected on LinkedIn, but we got to meet for the first time in person. I was kind of surprised because I had like a meeting request on the conference app and I didn't realize it was someone I was already connected to. So it was really awesome to, to, to get to meet you there in person and get to talk to you for a little bit. Likewise, I think it was fate because I think we had a request from each other, but none of us had sent it. So it was just meant to be. But it was really nice seeing you there. Um, I think you make a great impact in the community with the podcast. So for me, it was an honor meeting you and also being part of, of this podcast today. Thanks. It's an honor to have you on. And I, I you know, it's it's awesome to see that you've become an entrepreneur and 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 see what you're doing, that you're you're in a space that we really need more companies doing this that are doing it, doing it the right way. I mean, uh, kind, of, kind of we discussed before the podcast, just kind of the meaning of, of pen testing. The quality of pen testing has really been affected and there is quality out there, but it's a little more difficult to find because of the commoditized pen testing. So what you're doing with your organization is great. Yeah, well, we can elaborate on that. I think we have hours to talk about this, but um, yeah. I can talk a little bit about what we do and Again, reiterating this message on what's happening in the cyber world regarding pen testing. So um, I started an organization called Excelsis. The ancient Greek word for this, many people ask, means uh, cavalry charging. So it was a really old word, word that the generals used to use when they used to command the cavalry to charge. So I thought it was a really good fit with the, the offensive part of uh, security. But uh, the reason why we started Excelsis what I typically say is because organizations had that need, which is true. Many organizations, big ones, reached out to us uh, because of a gap, and we can elaborate on the gap. But the true reason why we started Excelsis is because of, of this unique message that we have built an ecosystem out there in cybersecurity, of course, of countless tools and services that are all there to reach one objective. So, Phil, if I ask you, what is the purpose of cybersecurity? What, what is yeah, the answer to that? To protect your organization's digital assets. Exactly. So every tool out there is to protect the organization, to defend the organization's assets. And billions of revenue flow in organizations because of this and out of organizations, all into these tools, where the majority do exactly the same thing, which is fine because it's, how we, it's having, ha, good having a healthy uh, business ecosystem. But the reality is that the center of all this is the validation that everything around it is correct, right? I mean, it's a chaos of tools. And the center of this is, have we ever tested if we actually are defending, if we're answering this objective? And this question is kind of being disregarded. It's being called, um, pen testing obviously is the offering that addresses that, but even pen testing has lost the power in its name. Like I told you before, so many organizations said, don't call it pen testing anymore because that's become commodity. So my question was, why have we let this happen? Why have we commoditized what in reality is the driving factor of everything? It should be the most elite, advanced offering, the center of everything that drives business in the rest of the ecosystem. 
it should centralize this chaos. You should validate that the tools are needed, validate the investments. So pen testing really lost, um, I think, the eliteness it could have had. It's become a checklist. Um, I'm not sure why it's become a checklist. I think you touched upon the um, compliance aspect, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, it seems, is, seems, mm. yeah, it really seems like compliance has really driven that because when I, I started my first pen testing role in, in 2012, and not that mm. many people were performing pen tests, but it seemed to be driven by compliance. Even a lot of companies that I've worked for in the U.S. have had large pen testing teams, and that was mainly for PCI. So PCI mm. has really driven the growth, but I think it's also caused some gaps too. Exactly. I think, yeah, compliance was a, was a really good idea to get the basics going, but companies just took advantage of that. And pen testing has become a sub-department. The biggest organizations that do pen testing, it's a very small department, under underpromoted, underappreciated, junior testers, not paid enough, not sold the way it should be sold, um, because it drives the least revenue in most companies, not the ones that are focused only on that. But of course, the bigger ones, they get the revenue from other tools, EDR solutions, etc., not the pen testing. Uh, when that defeats the objective of cybersecurity in the first place. The objective of cyber is not to make as much money as we can. It's to solve the problem for the customer. So the way, the reason why we created Excelis is, is to bre- bring the elite back into cyber, to show that this is the center exercise you need that validates the rest and drives the rest of the ecosystem. So we really want to kind of help change that, not only for us, but for everyone in there that's a pen tester and out there that's a pen tester. Uh, I think it's very interesting how the world is shaping. And I think we have the introduction of things like AI, which is pushing it even further. How is compliance going to even fit in that? <laughs> uh, the questions are countless and unlimited. Um, but yeah, this is the reason why we started uh, Excelsis, focusing just on the red teaming and the advanced security testing. And speaking of red team, again, something we touched upon with Phil is that in a name itself, uh, even this name is misinterpreted and is losing the value because what is a red team? It's not yeah, a, a coverage-based exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Red team is more uh, an objective-based exercise. It's the most, the ultimate adversary you can have. It's testing, can money be taken out of an ATM? Can a ship be rerouted? It's the elite objectives that, again, shape this whole ecosystem and the investments we've done around it. So I think, again, we're trying to... Um, re-educate i guess the community and something even through this podcast we can push these questions into into people uh, and organizations saying okay let's invest in a in a pen test or an elite exercise as i would call it see what we need invest in the tools out there retest see the coverage we have and continue the cycle um, of making sure we have our defenses in place if you could for our listeners if you could kind of go into a little more deeper detail on the difference between a pen test and red team operation? Of course. So pen testing in very, a very simple term, pen testing is coverage based and red teaming is objective based. So a pen testing exercise is broken down into different types of pen tests, such as web, internal, external, uh, Wi-Fi, API testing, where we, we test specific systems in scope and try and identify all uh, the vulnerabilities and exposure in that system. So it's coverage based. Uh, again, it's intrusive because when we find the door, we try and, and get in, but it's limited to a scope. Uh, whereas red teaming is an objective-based exercise. It will not tell you as an organization every single vulnerability you have in every single system. 
but it will tell you if the ultimate objective is achievable or not. And these objectives are the real value to an organization. So for example, an objective to a bank can be, can a customer account be compromised? Can ATMs be physically abused? Can money be taken out? Uh, can ransomware be put inside a bank? So higher level objectives. And then when a team is hired to accomplish these, that's the only site they have in front of their eyes. So they can t use any techniques they require, any scope they require to try and achieve that objective because that's the reality of, of things in a real cyber breach. And then the customer is validated, yes, this is achievable. It took us three days to steal a million dollars from a customer or no, it was not achievable. Uh, so that's the difference between the two. I think red teaming is targeted to more mature organizations that are aware of their objectives that have invested in the defense for the objectives. Uh, but pen testing is also needed because pen testing identifies the vulnerabilities, all the vulnerabilities in each system per, per scope. So you can patch them and hopefully the red team objective won't be achieved because of the pen testing, if that makes sense. Um, I think that's the difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. And in the, in the time too, you know, usually with pen tests, you don't have as much time. Red team operations could take, you know, weeks or months depending on the scope and the, the budget. But those are some of the differences there. You have to get it done so quickly in a pen test. But as you mentioned, the majority of the organization dictates whether you do, when you do the red team operation and it's good to do them all because you couldn't, you wouldn't want to do just red team operations because then you're missing a lot of vulnerabilities that could be exploited and, and lead to a breach. Exactly. And when I'm so strongly advocating about the eliteness of this, it's, it goes back to that point. It's not one or the other. Everything in this ecosystem ties in like a chain and you need everything. You need the blue teaming side. You need the tools. You need the people. You need the consulting. But you need to validate all that. You can't just have it unvalidated. So uh, the testing would be in the middle, validating all the around. Uh, and that around will help drive the business. And then the same thing for red teaming. So you need red teaming and, and the testing. But then again, we have the other, I think, uh, misinterpretation between vulnerability scanning, which I think you touched upon in a previous episode, that there's also a confusion between the vulnerability scanning and the pen testing, uh, which is something a little bit more automated, where the other one is more human um, interaction. I think you've already covered that. Uh, but I think, yeah, organizations definitely need to be educated on the importance of this, on the eliteness of this, but also not just customers, even vendors. I mean, from a vendor perspective, if I have an organization, I'm a massive cybersecurity firm, and I make billions in revenue of selling EDRs, for example, EDR solutions. Most of them do have some pen testing on the side. They should kind of reevaluate how testing is a driving force for everything else. So your EDR is there to protect the customer, but how can you validate to the customer that it's actually working? How can you use testing to show the customer their vulnerabilities implement the EDR solution, test again, show that the exposure has been uh, reduced, perform a red team exercise, improve your tool through this. So, something like a purple team, improve your tool, very, very important. Improve your tool through this. Uh, continuously grow and that's how they could, the, the business will thrive. It's a business development thing as well. Plus position pen testing as an elite service. This is the message I wanna, I wanna give out there. It's not a side project. It's not something that three people on the side can cover the whole scope of testing, it's an elite exercise and then you should treat it like that and promote it uh, like that. So I think that's a very, very key message. Um, but again, I think, to be honest, with the introduction of AI, like I said, um, 
there's another shift that we see. So even the existing products we have, even the existing EDR solutions, uh, to go back to the example, are also going to be start being undervalued because they're going to start being replaced by AI. Not replaced, enhanced, but also, also replaced. Also replaced, I believe. Um, not just tools, but people, <laughs> which is a very big topic. Yes. Yeah. I know the, the top, the question I've gotten for many, for many years from people is will AI and machine learning replace pen testing? And, and, you know, we really didn't start a lot of us in the, that hadn't had experience in that area really hadn't realized the power of it until chat GPT came out last fall mm. and then people kind of got to use it firsthand. And so people are more scared of it replacing their jobs. So what are your, what are your views on AI as far as helping or replacing pen testing? I think that, that question has been asked a lot, um, even from customers. So they've asked me, I mean, it's become such a hot topic that we get customers asking, are you doing anything in the AI space? So my thoughts around this are as follows, that because pen testing is presumed to be commodity, in that sense, AI could do it. In the sense that it could be a checklist, AI can go there and kind of validate these things. But the true purpose of security testing is not a checklist. And in that sense, you cannot automate it because AI, in all honesty, is basically, it's basically an automation based on machine learning and statistics. But every organization is so different that if I test your organization, let's say you have Phil Wiley AE and uh, you want me to, to, to test you or red team you, there's a fine line in me when I test you that I have to clearly understand the scope and not abuse it. Because if I accidentally go beyond that, I can steal money from real customers or actually shut down your company or accidentally leak all your data. So as a human, I have that moral compass and that understanding to say, you know what, I'll touch this placebo account or I can prove that I can steal money, but I won't actually do it. Or, you know, Phil, you didn't scope to me part B of your infrastructure. I've accidentally touched B. I'm stopping my testing here. I'm not going to continue into B because we haven't discussed that. How can you implement this logic into AI? You can't even train it to do that because every organization is different. It's in different industry, different requirements, different needs, different setup, different tools. AI cannot possibly go into an organization and have that logical thinking, saying I'm not going to touch that because it's a real customer and I'm not going to take the money out. Um, so... No, because we're trying to change the, version, the, the meaning of pen testing. I don't think AI can replace it, but I think it can enhance it and make some parts quicker, especially in the commodity uh, part of testing. But I think it is not just for pen testing. I think it's for any service out there. So I heard on the news, um, I'm not sure which company, but there's a new company that piloted out AI SOC analysts. So they're going to start replacing their SOC analysts with AI because they're saying it's more effective. A person's not going to sit there 24-7. We have uh, rotas. We're going to have someone that has to physically be mentally on the screen. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I kind of think that I, I, don't, I wouldn't really, as far as SOC analysts, I would think I wouldn't want to replace them. I think I would want that tool set to make their job easier because someone's working, you know, an eight or 10 hour shift or they're working a late shift, they're bored, they're tired, things are slow, they may miss things. But if you have enhanced tools, it's going to bring it to their attention. And then just acting upon those type of items. If you've trained your SOC analysts, they can start doing some preliminary incident response. So 
any, you know, a lot of the stuff that they're out there, I just don't see a lot of things being totally replaced. I mean, even if you had like an office assistant or something, that's kind of hard to replace some of the things they do. But back to the point of view for, for pen testing is there's no one's automated something that can find zero days right now. And that's hmm. something only a person is currently doing. I don't know if you've ever listened to any of the stuff that Daniel Meisler's done. Daniel Meisler mm -hmm. is in cybersecurity. He's done a lot of research on AI and uh, on some of his podcasts, he's mentioned once, you know, currently we have to feed it information into these learning models, these large learning models, but it's mm. going to take general AI for it to learn on its own, just to be able to figure out and do things on its own. And we're not quite there yet. Although it's interesting when uh, OpenAI got the investment from Microsoft to start using open AI for their, for their use, from their products, they mentioned with that, that uh, investment that they could start working on general AI, which is kind of interesting oh. to see where that, where that takes us. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I think going back to what you said though, I would disagree in the sense that we are in a paradigm shift right now. And I think things have already been replaced over the last 100 years. We just, mm -hmm. I think it's a scary thought. That's why we're saying, oh, I can't see it being replaced. Uh, but we have already replaced. I mean, people used to walk f 10 minutes to go to the shop because it was 10 minutes away. Now we don't even do that. We take a car to go there. I mean, people have replaced walking as an example, a very basic example. Yeah. And now the self-driverless cars are coming, the driverless cars are coming out. So we're going to replace driving. And we've already replaced so many parts of our society with technology that I think this is just a new paradigm shift. The way the first paradigm shift may have been electricity, the invention of electricity, then the invention of the internet. We're in the invention of a whole new era. And over time, I strongly believe that it will happen. I, do, I strongly disagree. But I think it's just going to become economical. Because if you yeah. come up with a stock analyst that um, can do the same as a person, and even faster, like you said, uh, maybe he's been programmed and trained to detect things quicker and respond quicker, why not? You're not going to have salaries. You're not going to have offices. We're already working from home anyway. It doesn't have to be a, an office space like a traditional sock. That will be an old-fashioned thing. So I think that we are striving towards that because the world is striving towards what makes more money, not what is ethically correct. But the message that has to go here is that the way we just spoke five minutes ago about undervaluing pen testing, we're undervaluing humanity. Because why would you say that AI is better than a human as a stock? Maybe they are. I mean, faster, quicker, but we're people. Um, so we should kind of play on our field as people. So we should use it to enhance, not replace. Uh, if we replace, every stock analyst will lose their job. It's equivalent in other roles across the world, which means less people will have, uh, no one will have way more unemployment. Less people will have money, which means they'll spend less money which means other businesses will make less money. If I don't have money, I'm not going to go buy bread or clothes or anything I cannot afford, uh, which then has an impact on the whole ecosystem. So no retail shops, that industry is fallen, which means transport is affected, which means uh, distribution is infected. And where are the clients going to be? Who's going to be left to buy the AI sock at the end of all this? No one's going to be left to, be, to buy the AI sock because there's not going to be money in anything. Uh, so I think the, the, the message here morally, it's a very hot topic, is the, the ethical code that will come. No one's created it around AI. The compliance, a new compliance against what AI should look like. And perhaps playing on our field, using it to enhance, not replace.
but I guess we can have a podcast 50 years from now and see, and see how things have changed since then. Um, yeah, but that's my it, two sides. <laughs> it's interesting that, that, that you mentioned that too, because when we look at like the industrial revolution, how farming evolved, you know, before people had to plow fields with horses and, and manual mm. plows, manually harvest crops, and they've automated a lot of that stuff. But, you know, it's just like, some of these machinery, these tractors that they didn't once have, now you've got a mechanic that is working on those devices mm -hmm. that before he wouldn't have been doing that. So it does bring opportunities. If you work, if you learn AI, work in the AI field, learn machine learning, then there's jobs for you. I think one of my favorite quotes were, was someone said, you won't be replaced by AI, you'll be replaced by someone that uses AI. Ah, that's a very good one. Yeah, a very good quote. And you're correct. It will definitely create opportunities. And the only the only change I see from the Industrial Revolution is how quickly it's happening now. Mm -hmm. the, the the change in the last 20 years have been astronomical. Um, it's such a big shift that I don't know if we have time to adapt, whereas the Industrial Revolution did happen slower and it allowed mm -hmm. for hum for humans to adapt. At the moment, I think it's changing way too quickly. And that's why we should put those guidelines perhaps and uh, like you said not replace but create more jobs and be replaced by those that know how to use ai and then training comes in but the new society will all be technology using i mean it's a it's a societal thing i mean the new kids in schools are learning how to use computers from a young age and it's not they're not going to notice the difference because they're going to grow up in the difference i think our generation is the one that um, notices the difference more yeah and i think it's gonna that's going to breed more uh technology because i think back to when i you know because i'm quite a bit older so when i was in school like in high school we got we had ibm computers and apple computers mm. and not everyone had a computer in their home we didn't have a computer most people didn't have computers and now everyone's walking around with a mobile computer mm. that's far more powerful than the desktops they had back then so mm. there, there is more access and with more access you know, comes in a more innovation, you know, some of these people now that are coming out with AI, uh, you know, what's the next generation going to come up with since they've got more exposure earlier on in their lives with the technology. Mm, exactly. And it's, it's really, it's so nice reflecting back on this stuff and appreciating, I think, the growth that's come there. But seeing it from the cyber perspective, too, um, for me, it's scary, because it's opening mm -hmm. so many doors in terms of exposure. Everyone, every Every organization, I mean, going back to, to iterate a story here to explain what I'm trying to say is that we were um, commissioned to do a red team on an organization, which was deemed very, very secure. So they had very high uh, security standards internally. But the way we compromised it was we had permission, <laughs> by the way, from the kids. So there was a kid that was using an iPad whose father was um, the executive assistant of a CISO part of the organization. So our scope reached out and said, you know what, to compromise this guy to get to the CISO, how can we get into there? From his home, from his kids, everyone uses uh, iPads. And the technologies we invest in rely more on the infrastructure of the company, not that much outside the company, not training and not training people to train their households, their families, their smart homes, everything over there is still linked to the company at the end of the day. So we managed to, through the house of um, this executive assistant, compromise one of the, the devices the child was using, get into the EA, get into the organization, etc. And that goes back to what you're saying. Everyone is using phones and technology. 
our lives are reliant on that to such an extent that um, smart cities are being built now. So not only our lives as Katerina personally, but my whole community, the whole London uh, that I live in the UK or the whole town you are is going to be relying on that technology. So how important is cybersecurity? Do they really want 100 tools that try and protect them without even validating that those tools work? This is one, I'm, it's such a, an important topic for me that testing is crucial. You need to know your exposure and know how safe you are. And um, one last thing I would say here is that those organizations that say you're going to be 100% protected or we're going to find all the vulnerabilities and you're going to be 100% safe, that does not exist. You will never be 100% safe. And this is why almost every red team engagement is 100% successful because you will never be 100% safe. But the whole purpose of, of this, and as Excel says, the whole purpose of why we're trying to help organizations is because we want you to be as safe as you can be with the technology you have. So any solution out there has a scope. It's breakable. It has blind spots. Let's find them so at least you know them. That's all. At least know them. See if anything else can cover them, if they're important to be covered, and just have the visibility of the risk on a board level and just say, okay, this is our blind spot. This is the reality of these things. We might not have budget. We may not want to have people to, to solve it, but you need to have that visibility or you will be taken advantage of te technologically. Uh, you're going to keep buying solutions that you might not need, but in reality, it's your responsibility to keep the company safe for the sake of all of us that are in the, in the ecosystem of your company. Um, so again, elite testing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting too, because when you mentioned like executives homes, uh, you know, compromising their kid using a, la a, a tablet, but it's kind of interesting. I've seen organizations that will actually test uh, the security of an executive's homes because a lot of times they're going to be mm -hmm. a target. So they will go in and do a pen test, a wireless uh, security assessment and set them up with like VPN uh, devices mm -hmm. so they can tunnel safely into the organization to try to reduce the risk of, you know, that home being used to, gain a foothold in the organization. That's that's exactly the sort of exercises we need because it's exactly what you said that the re in reality, if someone really wants to hack you, a real malicious adversary, they're not time-based. Uh, I mean, they don't have like a scope. You have a week to do an engagement. They don't necessarily have a limit on money. It's just they could take years to try and compromise you and they will use anything in their power, whether it's physically going into a house uh, targeting executives in their homes um, or spending resources unlimited, as many as they can find in illegal ways. I mean, creating botnets, for example, to have uh, resources, anything they can do to target you as an organization. That cannot be replicated because me, if even me as Excelis, if you hire me to do a red team, I'm not going to have unlimited time and unlimited resources to test you. So even in that basis, any engagement will never be 100% accurate. But far off from compliance far off from that it's still we still try and emulate the most we can based on threat intelligence based on understanding this this path what they would do trying to do it as quick as possible improving the the concepts and prioritizing the most important tasks and one of them is definitely the homes of executives if you have high responsibility access to very sensitive data in organization you definitely need your home checked your kids your family educated because they will be targets uh, your social social media education around your presence. When you go on holidays, you can't post pictures, you know, and have it all public. So, so much training that's also social based, not just 
strong password based. Um, very, very big field and a very big opportunity for organizations to, to focus on that. Yeah, and it's great that there's organizations like yours that are doing things the right way. I mean, one of the things I would say a good theme would be quality over quantity. So getting, you know, having that quality assessment done instead of just checking the box, because, you know, at the end of the day, threat actors don't care if you're PCI compliant or G GDPR compliant. They're going to to break in there. A lot of cases, they realize that maybe your focus has just been spent on compliance and not really uh, holistically mm. on your organization. Exactly. <laughs> I can't imagine hackers being like, oh, <laughs> is this person GDPR compliant? No, they're not GDPR oh, compliant. No. I, it's, <laughs> it's not even a question <laughs> that, com that comes to them. But thank you. This is what we're trying to do. And for us, yeah. it's more of that strategic relationship with the customer. We've never, we don't want to compete with any other organization. We want to enhance the way we said with AI. We don't want to replace, we want to enhance. So as Excelis is when we come on our customer, we want to just test, see the visibility, go back to the board and say, this is what it looks like. These investments, correct, very good. You need more though. You need more investments or you need these gaps or this has not been done correctly. And then we step out and we're advisors. So we really, really want to help enhance the whole industry, I think, and enhance collaboration, help bring tools in, help bring solutions in, but done in the right way. Uh, thank you. <laughs> So, so one of the questions I, I, I have here that I'd like to ask, because we're getting down close to the end of the episode, is you know a lot of people maybe they don't understand the space well enough, and it's difficult for them to find a good consulting co company. So, if they didn't have your organization, you know, because it's it's a no brainer mm -hmm. that your organization knows how to do things properly. So, how would someone find a uh, pen testing firm that is qualified to perform a good pen test? That's a very difficult question uh, because it, it falls into a different debate, versus, which is the skills versus experience part. I think initially when you're looking at pen testing organizations, the first aspect of it is seeing the experience they've had um, and the skills they have on paper. So certifications are very big in the industry. It kind of validates that, yes, they've passed as individuals that compliance that they know how to do things because it validates the professionalism around them. The second thing is honestly the people element. So when you speak to any organization out there, try and, try and develop that relationship. But from a customer perspective, you have to drive this. So you have to ask that pen testing organization that, you know what, this is what I want. I don't want compliance. I want to have full visibility. I want an advisor. I want someone that will step in and show me my weak spots, etc. So unfortunately, I think you have to be the one driving it. And then you have to see that relationship, how you feel with that organization, if they're supportive of that. And you'll kind of pick up on it straight away um, that they have experience to do that because it all comes back down to the experience. So I think it is the people element fully because like we said, this is a people exercise. It's not an automation and uh, it's something you have to drive and it's based on experience. So most firms that are experienced in testing, they will, they will know this. Deep down, they will definitely know me doing a checklist or seeing that you have HTTPS enabled doesn't mean that much. That's the reality of things. They just have to be honest. Um, yeah. And I see one of the things too, that I think that's, that's a, a good uh, thing to look for when you're, you're getting a, hiring a pen test firm. I think if you look for someone that's really going to help you define your goals, because mm -hmm. maybe it's a, maybe it's a pen test for PCI or, or GDPR, you want to make the most of that, that assessment. And you want someone that can really help you kind of expand upon your goals, help you come away with a result that you're actually looking for, not just the checkbox. 
Exactly. Exactly. Because that organization has worked with, if you're a bank, they may have worked with 30 banks. So that experience to you as a CISO, whoever you are talking to the organization is invaluable. It's something that you would have needed to have 30 careers to have obtained. So if that organization can help you define them, massive win as you, for you as a person and for the organization. But all of this goes back to the debate before. Pen testing is not commodity. It's a lot more elite. It's a lot more strategical. And there has to be a rebalance in seeing it that way. It's not something that it drives the least amount of revenue that's an add-on to your contract that you don't pay anything for. You don't want to because you're like, oh, I don't need a pen test. You should completely shift that over and use these firms as advisors, as your right-hand men to help drive everything else around that center. Uh, so it all goes back to that. Yeah, this, is, this has been a great discussion, but unfortunately we're getting down towards the end of the show. Yeah. Is there anything, <laughs> any, anything you'd like to share before we close it out? I just wanted to share thank you with you. I don't know. I can't believe time flew by so quickly. Uh, um, I wanted to say thank you to you as Phil, firstly for doing a podcast like this. I think you're really helping the community and helping these really important messages to be passed on. From my end, I shared everything. If anyone wants to reach out, I would appreciate a like and a follow on LinkedIn just because um, I'm one of the first CEOs as a woman in IT, especially in Greece where I'm from. So all the support is really, really appreciated uh, to help promote this message. Um, and anyone that wants to reach out to me, I'm always here available for mentoring, for discussing and for helping even advising uh, just to help the community around us. But thank you, Phil. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for joining. And, and thanks, everyone. We'll see you on the thank next Thank you episode. for listening to The Philip Wiley Show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, to learn more about Philip, go to thehackermaker.com and connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Philip Wiley. Until next time.